You're listening to Living Brave, a podcast where nothing's off the table. It's about leaning into discomfort and pioneering a new way of being. I'm Shoshana Raven. I created Living Brave to break down the shame, stigma, and fear holding us back from living the lives we dream of. Here, myself, my guests and friends share unfiltered stories and diverse insights to help us get out of our own way, build thriving relationships, and step more fully into our authentic selves. I believe that when we realize we have nothing to hide and truly hear each other out, we clear up a huge amount of mental space. And of course, no one can do the work for us, but we can be inspired to reclaim our lives and achieve what we dream of and so much more when we step into this radical truth time. So let's get started. Welcome to episode eight of Living Brave with Paris Rose. It's been over a decade since I saw Paris in person, but it felt so natural to sit down with her and talk. She's so inspiring, has a contagious high energy. Paris took a leap of faith into the entertainment industry. We'll talk all about that. She's now a reporter, a host, and a writer, and has her own show called The Unpopular Opinion. We cover a lot of topics like unconscious bias and racism. Who can say the N-word? That was her most popular ever YouTube hit with thousands of views and hundreds of comments about changing from being a people pleaser to really speaking her truth, her journey through therapy, processing trauma, how she ended up barking like a dog in front of dozens of people the highs and lows of entrepreneurship and freelancing, and so much more. So since Paris did call in, the audio quality isn't as amazing as it is in some of the other episodes, but I promise it's worth it to hear from this incredible human. Enjoy. So hey Paris, thank you for tuning in and being here with me today. Yes, thank you for having me. It's so good to see you after probably a decade we were, yeah. <laughs> we were in high school together and I've been able to follow your journey through social media it's one of the good things about social media seeing all the amazing things that you're doing and you're so aligned with this idea of living bravely speaking your mind uh, Paris is in the entertainment industry she's a tv personality she's actually part of another podcast she has a project called the unpopular opinion and I'll let you take away on that okay so the unpopular opinion is my baby I um created it in 2017 I actually got inspired by um President Trump and that election, um, because I noticed that one people were shocked that that Trump became president, but more shocked how many people actually agreed with the kind of wild, no, not kind of, very wild things he says. Um, but I wasn't shocked. I had grown up with so many different types of people, and I've heard people say these things to me, so I knew that even the people after Obama's presidency and everyone thought that everything was happy-go-lucky, I knew lots of people felt how Trump feels about things. So 
I thought, yes, I don't agree with anything Trump is saying, <laughs> basically nothing he says, but I do like that he is his himself, his authentic self. He says how he's feeling. And I feel like freedom of speech is a thing and that people should feel comfortable saying how they feel, even if it's not the majority, even if it's not the how liberals are feeling or especially in the entertainment industry, it's not the cool thing to feel how Trump feels or how conservative people feel. And I feel like that's it's, that's a shame. I think you should be comfortable saying how you feel, even if it's not the popular opinion. Hmm. And what kind that's of what started it? <laughs> that's awesome. What kind of topics did you cover? Oh, boy. Um, anything like it could be as kind of silly as a like, plastic surgery or just like the Kardashians in general or more. Um, I really like racial topics. That's like my baby. I like bringing up kind of controversial race topics like cultural appropriation, uh, who can say the N-word, interracial dating. Um, usually the race things are, are my thing. That's awesome. And can you take us to a pivotal point in your life to learn more about you before you grew into this person who can create a project as powerful as the unpopular opinion? Um, before, I never thought I would be able to create something like the unpopular opinion because my whole life I was a people pleaser. I will do anything to make sure that people like me. I avoided confrontation. Um, I just really wanted to make sure that everyone thought I was just the sweetest person in the world. Um, and this pivotal moment for me is um, I'm actually married, now separated. But um, I was having problems in my marriage, and I thought that if I went to therapy to figure out, I, I thought I was the reason why we're, I was having problems, and I kind of was. Um, so I went to therapy to get to the root of my issues, and I thought it was all going to be about marriage and stuff, but it actually took me back to, um, I had, I suffered a childhood trauma, which I don't mind sharing now. I'll be really quick about it, though. Um, I was molested for 10 years of my life by a stepdad and it made me uh some people can react in a way that kind of makes them rebellious and they turn to drugs to heal and they take a darker path mine was kind of more like my defense mechanism was just pretending it didn't happen and just going the complete opposite route i'm just going to be so lovable that i don't have to no one will ever guess that something that dark happened to me and therapy actually i thought i was over it but therapy like brought this to my attention again and it was a hard time but it allowed me to realize that I was a people pleaser that I wasn't living in my truth that I was doing things that like I was in the profession I was an executive assistant for a long time and I was just doing things that were safe I was really scared to take any big risk um and therapy really changed that for me so honestly going to therapy learning who I really am made me flip my life upside down I quit my job I moved it out from my husband. I separated my husband. I became a lot more vocal and I just kind of found me. That's so nice to hear. So it seems like therapy was that catalyst for you to finally like dig deep and look at those things. And then I always say when, when we're vulnerable and we just put everything out on the table, it just clears up so much mental space and also clears up a lot of space to like start a project like that. Uh, what was the response that you got when you did make those big changes in your life? 
Um, ooh, friends were noticing. So I am from Connecticut, and most of my friends live in New York now. Um, friends that I grew up with. So, and I live in LA. So they weren't seeing the little baby steps I was taking. I would come home maybe once a year and see them. And I'm a kind of completely different person, a lot more vocal. Like if I didn't agree with what someone was saying, I would tell them. And they kind of fought that a little bit. They were thinking it's the L.A. life in me that's making me more confrontational. And they thought that was the fake me, that really I am this really sweet person who agrees with everyone. And me being confrontational now was, like, not really who I was. And so there was a lot of guys like, no, unfortunately you met fake Paris. I, this is really who I am. Like, this is really me. This is my authentic self. And a lot of the times they're like, maybe it's going through something. Maybe this is a hard part of your life. Um, and I'm like, no, guys, I've never been happier than I am right now. So it was a lot of kind of, even family was like, I think that you're just having issues dealing with your childhood trauma. And they wouldn't accept that this is who I am now. And, um, like, I had family members compare me to, um, Tommy Lorraine, Lauren, Lorraine, she is a political commentator, big Trump supporter, and she says really boisterous things. Like, she really wants to be controversial. And my family's like, you're going to be the next Tommy Lorraine. Don't say these things. And they were really, um, they fought it for a long time until they realized, like, no, she really knows who she is now. And now they appreciate it. But it was rocky. It was rocky for a bit. Mm. What do you think is one of the most important limiting beliefs that you've gotten past to help you speak your mind? I guess that people won't like me anymore. I just really thought if I really said how I felt about things, I'm going to lose friends. And that was always so important to me. I don't want to lose friends. I I don't want to lose respect. That was another thing. I think um, just being so agreeable and polite all the time it's hard for people to not respect you, but saying, having sometimes the unpopular opinion on big topics, some people could lose their respect, especially when I have, uh, when I have an opinion about racial topics and I don't agree with the black community, then they, people lose respect for me. And I really struggled with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, like, uh, what made me just be like, oh, I don't care anymore, but <laughs> at some point I just, didn't care. I thought my message was stronger than losing some friends or losing respect from strangers. I just, I, I just felt my message was bigger than that. Yeah, it seems like it's just practice. Like I don't know when it happened, but I stopped caring. And then those, like I bet those thoughts still come up. Like, uh, you know, maybe I said the wrong thing or like I offended these people. But I love what you said. As long as you're really connected to your why and that purpose is is bigger than the vulnerability hangover as we call it then it's worth it right yeah. uh what is your mission for the unpopular opinion and I think the unpopular opinion just is is kind of like an example of how you live your life so it, it's just like a little microcosm of, of you right it definitely is I think my message is to uh, I want people to agree to disagree to feel like, you know, I I am not a Trump supporter. I'm not a Republican. Um, I'm not even really a Democrat. But I I want people to be like, people think I'm being fake when I'm friends with someone that I know is like an open Trump supporter. They're like, how could you? Um, but I'm like, I, I don't agree with them. But that's also okay. Unless you're spewing hate, unless you are trying to incite violence, 
then I'm okay with having a different opinion than you, having different beliefs, having different religious beliefs. I can be friends with, I am atheist, but I can be friends with someone who is Muslim and really into the religion. And I appreciate those people who will say, okay, you're atheist, but doesn't mean you're like a devil worshiper or you're a soulless person. Um, I appreciate when people can put my differences aside. So I want to encourage more of that. I want to encourage more of a conversation. Race is such a heavy topic in our country. And I feel a lot of times um, more than racism is like ignorance is bigger than racism here. And I feel like nothing is going to change because people don't want to connect. They don't want to engage. And so that is my purpose of the unpopular opinion to like have your questions if why can't I say the n-word as a white person and then I want to be able to answer I want my audience to answer each other's questions that's the purpose yeah that's that's really amazing what's one of your favorite unpopular opinions or conversations you've had I know you said race topics but is there anything in particular within that um I would say the two biggest ones that got the most engagement um, were my opinions on cultural appropriation and um, who can say the N-word. Those were the, the who can say the N-word was my most popular video um, and had a, a lot of back and forth on YouTube comments. Um, but those two topics I still like to talk about amongst my friends now. Can you tell us a little about that and how many people tuned in and watched that? Um, okay, so my uh, unpopular opinion is on YouTube, and I also put it on IGTV. Um, for my YouTube, I got around 28,000 views, um, and I had to delete the comments because YouTube told me I had to because it got really they got offensive. But at the time, there was around uh, 200 comments, which was so crazy for me because every other video had like two comments <laughs> and there was mm-hmm. this that had or over, over 200. Um, mostly, mostly angry at me. Most black people being very upset at me, um, calling me racial names because there are racial names that black people can call other black people. But um, a lot of it was like, Oh, I see from black people. I see your point, which for the N word, I, uh, my point of view, my opinion is that we say the, N-word with the A ending, you know, the one you hear in all the rap songs, is our word now that we, um, it doesn't hold any power against us, that we've used it to empower us, and we have control of this word. It's not like that heavy E-R ending. And so if that is the case, if it holds no racial weight to it, if we own it now, I, I think that either everyone should be allowed to say it or no one says it. I don't say it. I don't like that word. I think there's a lot more empowering words that Black people use, like we're calling ourselves queens and kings and i like that stuff <laughs> i like black girl magic black boy joy those are great things but the n-word i never want to be called that but i also am not offended when some white person says it's tour in a song or if they even say it to, like a lot of white friends say it to each other and they don't even think there's anything wrong with that and i i don't either um there's no hate behind it there's no malice so i think i don't care who says the n-word but that is definitely the unpopular opinion for the black community, and it got me a lot of backlash. Mm. Well, that was brave of you. Uh, one of the, <laughs> yeah, one of the 
the videos that I watched of yours was speaking about how you see colorism as more harmful than racism. And I think a lot of people aren't even aware of this topic or issue. Uh, could you speak to us about that? Um, yes. Okay. So you're not aware of it. Colorism is basically just like racism. You feel, but it's about complexions. We feel in the black community that the lighter skinned black people are more superior than darker skin and superior in every way. They, we think they are smarter. There's this connotation that the lighter you are, the smarter you are, the pretty you are, the more desirable, the more hireable, you look more professional being light skin. Um, and dark skin means uneducated, ghetto, uh, ugly. It, it means like a criminal. And it's, this is an issue in the black community. I, it expands past the black community in an unconscious way. A white person might, you know, like Beyonce, even before she's Beyonce, her complexion will be on the cover of magazines more than someone like an actress like Lupita, who is natural Afro hair, very dark skin. And I, white people tend to see liking people and think they're more attractive, but I don't think it's a conscious decision. While in the black community, it's very conscious. Um, and I think it's more harmful because there's so many things in this society that are telling black people that they're not good enough, they're not smart enough, they are not going to be able to achieve this. There's so many other aspects, uh, things that tell us that. So if our own community is telling us that, hey, the darker you are, the more natural your hair is, the less appealing you are, you really believe it. You know, white people are saying it, my own race is saying it. So maybe, yeah, maybe if I'm dark skin, I am ugly. Maybe I am not smart. And that's really damaging. It, it divides a race of people, but it also um, it makes us unable to like elevate ourselves. If we don't feel like there's hope, then we're not going to try. And so that's why I feel like it's more damaging. It's like keeping us down. Yeah, and it brings to light that so many stigmas that we have are unconscious. Like I didn't know that I had a stigma against like people with STIs or especially herpes until like I had it and I was like oh my god if I feel like shit it's because I have a deeply ingrained like stigma because I I wouldn't feel like all these things unless I thought that people with that were like that and yeah. it caused me to think about all of these other biases that we have <laughs> and I guess like the best way to combat this like these topics that we're talking about is it's just awareness, right? And having yeah. like having these conversations and really asking yourself, like, do I have this bias? Do I have this stigma? That's really hard sometimes because we don't want to admit it. Also, you want to see yourself in the best light. So it, it's kind of, it's a slight ignorance and no one wants to admit that they're ignorant. So it, it, it is kind of hard. Mm. And speaking on this topic, we grew up in Fairfield, Connecticut, a bubble town that um, it's hard when you are growing up to have like a comprehensive view of the world, especially in the public school system. It's like everyone's doing really well in school, involved in a million extracurricular activities. The graduation rate's super high. There's very, very little diversity. How was that experience for you, how do you think it shaped who you are? Oh, it definitely shaped who I am, like, 100%. 
I, it wasn't always easy. I, I mean, which is weird because I'd moved to this town when I was four years old. So it should have been like, I acclimated very quickly. I'm, I'm four, but it was uh, very apparent that I was different quickly, uh, very quickly on. And it was a struggle at first to relate, to feel wanted. Um, and the experiences I had make me uh, this open-minded person today, especially about race, because I learned um, in Fairfield, everyone is pretty affluent and pretty much all white. And they don't really have to think of racism. They don't have to even think of race being in Fairfield. Um, and I realized how I noticed that more so than it being ignorant comments coming from a hateful place, it comes from uh, ignorance. And ignorance doesn't have to be a bad thing. I think when people hear ignorance, they think it's just like an attack on you. But there's so much to know in this world. There's so many cultures, religions, races. If someone is ignorant about something. Um, and I, I just noticed that a lot of times when I would hear comments that I would get from white friends, it's like, you're the whitest black girl we know. Or it's like, Paris, can you teach us this uh, dance, this new dance? Or like, uh, what are they singing this rap song? Which are all just, if, if I wasn't a patient person, those are really offensive comments because it's like, why? Because I'm black. I know all what they're saying in every rap song. I know all the dances. It's like, no, I, I don't. But I have patience because I know it's just ignorance. They want to relate. They want to connect. And they think this is the best way to do it. And it, it's not. But I, I address it in those times. I don't just shut people down. I just don't say that was racist. I, I explain why it's not cool to say I'm the whitest black girl you know. Because what does that actually mean? Why am I white, a white black girl? Because I'm well-spoken. Uh, it's because I I don't have any type of uh, like ghetto twang. I'm not urban dressing. So it, uh, that means I'm white, which means you think all black people should speak in an urban manner, that they should be dressed in an urban way, that they shouldn't handle themselves in a professional way. That means that's how you think of black people. And when I tell that to someone who's white, they're like, oh, my God, no, I, 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 wouldn't, I didn't mean it that way. And I, I know they didn't, but I, I address it so they understand that that's not cool. It's, it's, um, it's an unconscious thought, like white people should be this way and black people should be this way. And if you're not, then you're definitely not a black girl or a black man. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. Instead of pointing out like hey, that was offensive, or hey, that was racist, and someone just, like, closes up into their shell and maybe never talks about the topic again, you just ask, like, why? Like, what does that mean? Can you explain what you mean by that? And, uh, yeah, that's a really good good tool. Another topic that you talked about was dating and interracial dating. Um, do you have personal experiences, or what's your, what's your view on that? Um... Interracial dating was never a choice to me. It's not like I was like, I'm going to date outside my race. I yeah. just like who I like. Uh, mm -hmm. And of course, I grew up in a pretty much a predominantly white neighborhood. So what I was offered was mostly white. Um, the, my experience has always been good. Um, as I was young, when I was younger, I never really thought about race. So those topics weren't a thing. It was just really about, I like you, you like me, and we're connecting. And that's that. But as I got older, my husband is from Italy. Um, so there was the race thing, but also the culture thing. Um, and we ran into a lot of issues amongst our, each other, um, just understanding, especially, you know, with 
Black Lives Matter is becoming had a huge platform and we're seeing viral videos of like police brutality and I'm like torn up about it. I'm devastated seeing these things and I'm like so I'm taking it all so personally while my husband will be like, I don't under, I don't understand, but you don't know that person. Um, and so it's having to explain like, but this is a human thing. You should be broken up too. But so th- there's a lot of that issue um, in the relationship of trying to get you to feel my pain, understand, empathize with me. Um, but on the outside, uh, I got a lot of um, like, oh my God, you are so lucky. He likes you. Like it's almost like I, it was a reward oh, for me God. that this white man is interested in me. And it's just like, how did you meet him? Like, I bring nothing to the table. I'm just this girl who got lucky, found this beautiful white man, which was kind of the constant comments I get um, when I date white men. Like, uh, well, how did you get him? Even from black people. Like, lucky you. Girl, you're, you're winning. And I'm like, well, why is he not winning to me? <laughs> like, I, I think I'm a catch. But I get that from both sides. Mm-hmm. I, I always think that. I think that's something just with, like, females as well um and and it probably shows up for everyone but like if your partner's great like when your own like really close friends and family are like he's a keeper he's a catch and you're like like did he forget about me (laughs) like I always want to tell my friends like I love him he's so lucky you know or like always bring it back to that person but sometimes when you're so close to someone you just yeah you forget to tell them how fucking awesome they are um, can you tell us a little bit about your journey into this entertainment world, entertainment industry? Is that what you studied? How is your is your lifestyle? Okay, so how I stumbled upon it. So I always thought I wanted to be in entertainment, um, but I lost my confidence, I think, somewhere between. I think in college, I kind of lost my confidence, Um just because I had been in, in this heavy, predominantly white community. I was so excited to finally be in somewhere diverse. I went to school in North Carolina. I purposely chose it because the diversity in the school I went to, UC, UCNG, and diversity was a thing. It's like what I looked for in a college. I was so excited. Oh, my gosh. You know, I would never want to be in an all-black college because I love my white people. They're my best friends. I can never just turn my back on the white race. So I didn't want to go to a historically black college either. So diversity was key. And I thought this was going to be my time. I'm going to connect with black people. I'm going to meet people, uh, Asians, Latino. I was excited. But I was, it was really disappointing to know that I wasn't taken in by anyone. Not white people, not black people, no one. Everyone kind of in this diverse university stuck with their race. And, um, and you know, my white friends from Fairfield, they knew me. We grew up together. So there wasn't any of like, you're the black girl. But in the South, they don't know me. They don't know that I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. They weren't as warm. And I was just feeling like I'm not cool anywhere. I was, for the black people, I was too white. For the white people, I was too black. And I just felt lost. I felt not cool. I just kind of lost my confidence. Um, So I went to school to be a psychologist. Um, and And then after that, I decided to be a psychologist. And I started to do, like, assistant work. I was, like, a personal assistant, executive assistant. And that's what I did for a long time until – and I wasn't really happy, but I was good at it. And I was like, well, at least I'm good at it. Um, And I just kind of forgot about this dream of entertainment. I thought, well, I missed the ball. I didn't go to college for it. Everyone else has internships. And 
and I'm now shy and awkward, so it's not going to be for me. Um, until I had this kind of pivotal moment through therapy where I was finding who I am and learning to really like who I am. I am awkward. Um, I do mumble sometimes, and uh, I have weird mannerisms, and I thought that wouldn't be acceptable for a TV host. Don't we, but then don't I learned, we all, though? <laughs> <laughs> just, you're just a human. Yeah. So when I learned that some people, I'm not going to be for everyone, you know, not people might tune out when they hear me talk and that's okay. And when I learned that, I decided, um, hey, I'm going to try again. I actually like my personality. I know everyone's not going to like it, but I'm going to try. So I started taking improv classes to really get me out of my bubble. And that sure did. That was like the first class. They're like, Paris, get up. We need you to pretend you're a dog. Like it was a, a class of like 25 people. And I like first day where I'm a really shy person now. And they're saying, go up in front of these strangers and pretend you're a dog. And like, they're like, bark, you know, like, lick yourself. <laughs> the craziest experience. Um, and I did, I think after like my third class, I'm like, I love this. Like, I love this. I found myself again. Mm. So I, when I realized like, I can bark like a dog in front of a room of strangers, I can definitely try this hosting thing again. And so then I started taking hosting classes, which... In the beginning, I would get up there and, like, literally be shaking. And they'd be like, Chris, maybe, maybe sit back down. <laughs> maybe watch some other people go. <laughs> um, and it was a while of that. Um, but I just was like, I have this desire. Like, I know I can reach an audience. I know it's in me. I just got to find the confidence that I used to have as a kid. And I just kept at it. And I got more opportunities. I met people in hosting classes that gave me my next, like, my first red carpet. If you know um, Karamo Brown, he is one of the hosts, um, I guess you call him host on the show Queer Eye on Netflix. Um, he was in my hosting class as a mentor, and he, he like, really encouraged me. He got me my first red carpet job, and from there kind of just, it, like, lit a match under me. I was like, all right, I can't be stopped. I'm going to be Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh, yeah. It's just, it, it's just kind of, uh, I realized this is really what I wanted to do, and I was really glad that I found it. That makes me so happy. Like my cheeks hurt right now because <laughs> just like knowing that that drive that you had when you're like, it seems like the shift in mindset was you realizing that you're not for everyone instead of being so afraid that someone it's something you say isn't going to resonate with someone being like, I'm not for everyone, but I am for some people and I can that can be enough and that can be really amazing. And then just like going for it with the improv classes, that that's really cool. Uh, so now it's your full-time thing, mm-hmm. which is great. It, yes. It, it's still a journey, which I, I try to still be really authentic about because like, especially with social media, everyone is like flossing for the gram, like trying to pretend they're living this amazing lifestyle that they're not actually living. I don't mind you pretending because it's your, it's almost like your vision board. So if you're a blogger and you are pretending that you are living this lavish life, if it's a life you would like to live, go ahead, make that, make your Instagram page, your vision board. And I don't have a problem with it, but the problem is people don't want to admit their failures. They don't want to say like, actually I'm struggling right now. I'm, I'm doing what I want to do, but I'm still struggling. And I wanted to still do that. So like I work for like five different outlets. Uh, I'm a freelancer and I get great red carpets. I've been to the Emmys and the SAG Awards, really big things. 
but yet I was still like, I was one time I went to the Emmys, I was on the red carpet, I was amongst these A-list celebrities, and I left the award show to go, go drive for Lyft. Like, and I wanted to let people know, like, this is a journey. Like, I know it looks like I'm living this lavish life, but I'm working so many jobs to to make this work, and I still am. I still haven't, like, in quotes, made it. Uh, personally, I feel like I've made it because I'm allowed – I'm living a life that I want to live, like, completely to the fullest. Everything I'm doing, I want to do. Um, but, like, financially, it's still a struggle. I still don't have a set job, like, company that I'm working for. And that's still the goal. And I, I just want people to know there's, there's steps, there's levels to this. Yeah, and it's, it, it's all depending on whose standards you're basing your success off of. Like, yeah. you've made it for yourself, but if you're going to use someone else's metric, then, you know... I, I just think I that's 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 harmful. Uh, so are are there any people in your life or maybe even a book, someone you don't know that has inspired you and kept you motivated and and like the go getter that you are? Um, there are two things. There is a book, a self help book, which I never thought I would like a self help book. Um, but it was called You Are a Badass by Jensen Zero. I'm reading this, I'm reading that right now. Are you? <laughs> this book, literally, I swear it changed my life. I, people think I'm so dramatic when I say it, but it was a game changer for me um, because I always was so anti-self-help books. I thought they were trash, and I don't even know why because I didn't even read one, but I thought it was kind of like, I'm so sorry if you like psychics, but... To me, it seemed like going to a, a psychic just to hear what you want to hear. And, and like, yes, this psychic told me I'm going to be a millionaire. And so now I'm going to be one. And I just like, no, you, this that's becoming a millionaire. You can't just be told it. And, then you, and that's what I thought a self-help book would say. Like, you're doing great and you'll be amazing and that not give you how to be amazing. But that is not what you are a badass is about. It's about like being like, yeah, you might be depressed now. That's perfectly fine. Sit in that. Like, it's not shameful. Don't run from it. Everyone has dark times. But this is how you can get out of it. If you don't, you don't need to stay in that dark spot. This is how you can get out. And she speaks in a very real way. Definitely appealing to millennials. She's very not. Um, she curses in there. She doesn't have like set full sentences. It's not grammatically correct. It's like a friend telling you kind of how to live your life. And that spoke to me. I didn't want some, like, very professional therapist type of book. I wanted this friend to tell me, like, girl, you got it. And she just helped me own my stuff. She helped me realize the narrative you tell yourself is way bigger also than what other people are telling you. Like, if you don't really believe you can get it, it's cool to say, like, I want to be Oprah. But then, but do you actually believe it? Like, do you think you can be as successful as, successful as Oprah? And a lot of times I was thinking, no, like I've said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But I don't really believe it's going to happen. But I mean, she helped me like realize like how to, to manifest. And I feel really cheesy when I bring these things up, but manifestations and visioning the life you want, being specific about it, being detailed. Um, it's so great to say, I want to be rich, but how rich, how much money do you want to get? What do you want to buy? What are you going to buy? Where's the house that do you, are, what's the house going to be? Is it going to be four bedrooms? Like being so detailed about what you want in your life and why you want it. I feel like it, it changed everything for me. Mm. 
Yes, I, I love that. I read it every night before I go to bed. And sometimes I'm super tired, so not that much. But it's one of those books that keeps me up. One of the, the quotes that I really loved, it's something along the lines of kind of like you're not for everyone. But mm -hmm. even more than that, some people are going to react negatively to you when you make a big shift or you step into yeah. your true self. And the line was something like when people have spent their whole lives convincing themselves that they can't do what you're doing or they shouldn't do what you're doing when you do that that is like the biggest kind of rejection for them i don't know it's something really hard yeah. to deal with so you can't always expect people to totally open their arms to what you're saying or what you're doing and it gives you a more compassionate way of looking at people who are haters oh yeah <laughs> you know it's like maybe they just are trying to protect themselves because they had this dream. Also, a lot of the times, like the people closest to you, which this book helped me realize, um, they they might say that dream is unattainable, and it's not to bring you down, but it's their own fear speaking. They they care about you to say like, hey, I know I went to college for this, and I have this set job, but I'm quitting my job for no job, and I might be broke, and like support me like a mom or a close friend is going to be like, why would you do that? Like you are making good money. You seem to be happy. Why would you flip your life upside down? And if you don't understand where, where they're coming from, it could seem like they're such haters. Why don't they believe in me? Why don't they support me? But you have to understand it's a scary thing to just be like, I'm going to make these big shifts in my life. And, and I don't know what's going to happen. Support me. It's really scary for a friend or someone close to you to be like, go for it. Yeah, you might fail, but it's okay. It's, it's really hard. And it's even hard for the individual doing this. It's uncomfortable. Like making these big shifts are uncomfortable. You might lose friends. You might be a little lost for a bit. You might even doubt that this is what you really want. And it's not a fun experience. So it's just easier kind of just to go along a straight and narrow path than to take these chances but when you do it's so worth it, it or, or might not might not be but at least take the chance yeah definitely especially within the industry that you're in I feel like there's probably a great deal of imposter syndrome I don't know if you've heard of imposter syndrome but it's like it, it's like the feeling no matter how deep you are in your career you always feel like you somehow slipped underneath the cracks and like you don't really belong. So say like a CEO of a company like can still feel imposter syndrome or like I'm a writer and I feel like I'm less qualified than everyone or like that I kind of slipped through the cracks and they hired me four years ago and they still haven't found me out. And like, thank God I made it through that firing spree. You know, it's like these weird limiting beliefs around like whether you're worthy to be where you are. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I haven't heard of this imposter syndrome, but I totally suffer from it <laughs> um, all the time. It's so, especially because I I didn't go to school for. I would hear friends that were like, "Oh, I went to school for journalism or communication." Then I had this internship, and you know, I've been pursuing this for like ten years. And I'm like, I started three years ago, out of the blue, and here I am on the same red carpet as you are. And I I feel like I didn't put in the work, or I see someone that I. I really would love to emulate. I want to, they're my goals. And I'm like, but how do I have this job? Like, how am I next to them? Um, I, I think that all the time, or like I should throw in the towel, especially um, 
with social media, everyone can be a host right now. Like, you just have to have your camera, and you can be on IGTV and go live, and everyone can be a host. So it's kind of saturated the industry, and I many times fear that I'm a part of the saturation, that I, I didn't go to school for it, I didn't have journalism, I, a journalism degree, I didn't put in the hard work I, like other people before me had to, and so I feel like, do I deserve what I'm getting right now? And I have to tell myself, yes, you do, but it's, I have to do this often. <laughs> Yeah, it, that reminds me of Jackie Carr. She's based here in Colorado. She's a public speaker. She's awesome. But I went to one of her events the other night, and she she's it was a launch for her speaker course on how to be a public speaker. And one thing she talks about is that limiting belief of someone's already doing it. There's so many people out there. The market's saturated. And her whole thing is like rewriting that story. And what if, yes, there are so many people doing it, and there are a lot of people out there but there's no one doing it exactly like you are. Like, it's impossible. No one's doing it like you are, even if they tried. Like, you are so unique. And what about the belief that there is room for everyone, even if there are so many people, even if the platform is accessible to everyone? Like, I think that it, it's that shift from a scarcity mentality. There, I actually had to learn that, too. I found myself being really competitive, um, especially amongst other um, African-American women. I just thought there can only be, there's only room for one, which is a limiting belief that many minorities feel that we, we don't have, they're not going to hire two of us. And so instead of um, like getting with a girl who is black and, and um, what is it called? Uh, collaborating. Instead of collaborating with someone who is black, walks with a strong voice, I'm like, let me make sure I like don't do anything with this girl or get myself out before her because she might be better than me. And, and then I, I'm gone. My career is done. And I had to really tell myself there, there, like you were saying there, it's impossible to actually, even if you had another show, a black girl had another show called the unpopular opinion and talked about the exact same topics. There's still no way to exactly do it how I'm doing it. Cause we're all individuals and maybe her platform gets really big and her, her people really like her. But Alpha and also have my audience, too, that really likes me. And we're all winning. There's literally room. There's billions of people in this world. <laughs> there is a room for all of us. To, we can all, Millions of us can do the same show, and we'll get a different audience. Who likes us for our personality? Who likes the way we say something? So I had to really get over that. That's awesome. Are there any routines or habits or rituals anything that you do that you're like this is an unnegotiable like I this is your personal medicine um I honestly think it's it's just taking time for myself like I think people think that they have to be working hard or they're not doing anything like all times of the day they have to just be especially if you are in a creative field where there's no set hours of work and um, there's really no one looking over you telling you you have to do this or that. A lot of creatives especially feel like if they're not busting their butt, they're not grinding, they're not doing anything. There's no space for free time. There's, and I think it's more about working smart over working hard, um, which is hard because I grew up in a, like my family, we definitely come from a low-income family. And people from a low-income family, all they know is hard work. I'm going to get three jobs to be able to provide for my children. 
And, and that's great. It does provide for your children. But if you actually were able to hone into one skill and then elevate yourself, you could have probably made way more money than thinking you always have to be busy. So what I do is I take the time to watch my favorite Netflix show. I'll binge at the show like, and not feel bad about it. I, I don't have a set schedule. So I might take one day where I'm not looking up new jobs and I'm making a new reel or looking how I can get to I'm just doing nothing. I'm doing what makes me feel at peace. If it's reading, if it's a Netflix binge, if it's just going to the beach, I'd take my personal time. Mm. That's wonderful. Uh, so I always ask guests on the podcast what it means for you to live a brave life. So I think it looks different for everyone, right? Stepping in your into your authenticity, living brave, it might be being very present. It might be being loud. So what does it look like for you in your life? What makes you feel brave? What makes me feel brave is owning my past and not letting it define me. I come from a family. My father's incarcerated. I dealt with this childhood trauma. I have dealt with a lot more other things. I've had a lot of terrible racist experiences um, that really made me feel less than and really took away my self-esteem, made me feel like I can't go for whatever I want to go for. I was always afraid that if I did become more of a public figure, they, everyone always looks into the lives of a public figure. What if they find out that my dad's incarcerated? What if they found out I was molested? Will that be? Will they not be able to move past that? Will I be just a, just a victim girl to them? And those were always my fears. When I decided to own my past, good or bad, um, just realized, like, I don't think, there's no way, especially if you're an adult, there's no way you can be an adult that hasn't had any darkness in their life. If you have, I, that's amazing. Um, but I feel like we've all had darkness. And if you're going to judge me for my darkness, you're not my kind of person anyways. So I just decide to own my shit, really, and, and not be afraid of I'm going to speak my truth before someone decides to dig in my past and just, like, out me. I decided I'm no longer going to be fear being outed. I'm going to out myself and not in a way to sometimes people out themselves to like they make fun of themselves so no one else makes fun of it. It's not that. It's like, I know this happened. I know this is kind of a dark thing, but I'm okay with it and helped me become the person I am. And that's, I think that is living bravely for me, not being afraid. If a stranger, which I've had, I've had DMs and people being like, oh my God, you're this typical black girl. You need, you grew up with a single mom. I'm like, yep, I did. And look at me living my best life now. Like nothing you say can hurt me anymore. While back in the days, something like that, a comment like that could just devastate me, could just put me right back into a hole. Um, so living bravely is just living, really, really living my truth. I love that so much. Like that makes me so happy. And that's that's the point of this podcast. It's to own your story. But then in doing that, you feel more connected to other people because maybe you thought that you were your your story is unique, but we feel like we're the only ones, right? Mm. And then everyone, once you start just sharing, everyone's like, "Oh, this happened to me, and this happened to me," and you build all these amazing relationships, and it's reconnected me with you, which I'm so excited about. This has been <laughs> really, really fun. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Um, is there any way that we can connect with you? 
Yes, um, you can find me on uh, Instagram. I'm at uh, Paris Rose, Paris with two R's. Um, I am on YouTube. We just look it at the unpopular opinion. And um, I think those are like my two main platforms, YouTube and Instagram. And that's, I love hearing from everyone. I really do. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> thanks for listening to living brave i enjoy all the time and effort i put into this project sharing these stories and perspectives with the goal to really create a community and serve people who may feel alone or lost or just to motivate all of us to go after our dreams please support the podcast by giving it a review on apple Podcasts. you can just search living brave and scroll down to the bottom of the page of course, share it out with friends, screenshot it on Instagram, you know, all the things. I appreciate each and every one of you so much. If you have a story to share, a topic you'd like discussed, or want to explore some of my other offerings like group retreats and a new one-on-one private coaching, please reach out. ShoshanaRaven.com, ShoshanaRaven at gmail.com, and Shoshana underscore Raven on Instagram. Uh, I love you guys. Thank you. See you next time.